Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I keep thinking back to that first flight southwards. An endless jolting car ride over the flats, like this one. The same tinny audio tapes, played to their end and turned over and played again. Songs whose relentless over-familiarity we came to despise, even as we chanted along to them, chorus and verse. Tuning the radio in search of relief, but only finding sneering governmental proclamations about the riverside monsters. The worshippers of the trawler man, whose churches had finally been found and raised. Returning to the familiar old songs, the ones we could join in with. And then we arrived at a dead, ruinous place somewhere upon the lower delta. 
A cabin stood alone by the water's edge. And Nana told us that this was to be our new home. I remember mostly sensations roaming through the strange smelling rooms that Nana had purchased, watching the play of light through the boarded up windows. My brother Em and I, lying flat in the darkness across dank and mildewed mattresses. On the first night, we slept until midday, and we did not dream. On the second night, we wept for our loved ones who were lost or in the clutches of our enemies, and we could no longer sleep. And on the third night, Nana Glass decided to feed my brother Em and I to our god. She had no other options. The police had taken our parents and rounded up the rest of the church. And the newspapers had already moved on from the new decrees and were discussing other matters. And the troller man, somehow, was not fighting back. We heard no news of great violence or great transfiguration. And the water swimming at the bottom of our new garden was stagnant and motionless, no matter how hard we prayed or long we wept. So something had to be done to make a difference. I remember I kept very still, an obedient child, while M, a larger form, shifted uncomfortably beside me in the low tide as the water swam around his shins and up around my waist. I remember the familiar dusty smell of the sackcloth. I remember feeling surprised that it smelled just the same from the inside as it had from the outside. I remember Nana lifted the sack to pierce the flesh at the very top of my ear, not unkindly, with one of her votive fishing hooks. She asked me if I was frightened. I told her yes. Yes, I was frightened. I told my Nana I didn't want to become one of the trembling shrimp angels that swam out of the ruined corpses of our family sacrifices. I didn't want to be devoured by the chirping crab angels that came swarming up through the shallows to feast. Nana ran her hand through my hair. She said, in a voice that was soft and crooning as a lullaby, You need to remember, Mallory Glass, that nothing in this rotten world knows how to withstand change. The blossom wilts in the sudden frost. The dog howls and turn at the howl of thunder. Because cowardice courses through the vein of every living thing. And we tremble when our little bowers of wicker and trash shift in the long winds. 
So if you're frightened, that's only because what's coming for you is a change that lasts. The sackcloth was lowered. The sound of Nana's feet splashing away through the garden. And she sang to herself as she left us to die. We didn't talk to one another, M and I, through the night. We were good children. We didn't want to spoil things. But I could hear his breath, unsteady and frightened and pained. A comforting sound that matched my own unsteady breath as the hours passed and we shivered together as the currents drifted all around us. We could hear the whispers as the angels stirred and crawled around us in the high tide. When the light of dawn came and the sackcloth came off my face and M sackcloth came off and we were both gasping and shivering in the freezing water but still very much alive, still very much ourselves, the very first thing I remember is that Nana was crying as she held me and adrift, her long fingers trembling with confusion and sorrow because we were still ourselves and what should have happened had not happened and perhaps that meant that our God had abandoned us. And I felt so disgraceful, so ashamed of myself, that I disappointed her like this. That I'd proven myself an unworthy vessel in the only moment when it mattered. These are the silt verses. We're nearly there now. Our disciples, nearly at the high tide, and I named them thus in order of their arrival. Maeve de Brune, Lucille Valentine, Mintaka Angel, B. Nar, Jimmy Yamaguchi, and Jamie Stewart. More sirens out there now. The quiet couldn't last. I suppose that means we're safe to try the radio. No, don't... Do you just do things, Carpenter? I told you, it's fine. Sid's gone off the air. This is a special alert. I repeat, this is a special alert. Any units in the vicinity of Marcel's Crossing who are awake and unoccupied, please make for the town with all due haste. Miracle in progress. Repeat suspected miracle in progress. What a night. Stay safe out there, people. Marcel's Crossing? It's where we started. Just keep driving. We'll come to it in time. And in time, we do. Faint golden lights rising up in the distant darkness. Before us, 
the low and sullen sprawl of the undisturbed town. Somewhere to the north of us, Pendus Lake and Bellwethers and everything else we've been haunting. Ahead of us, the White Gull itself. We pass by the sign of the Dozy Pilgrim Motel and keep driving into the winding and sullen streets. It's late into the heart of the night. Nobody is about on the roads. The lamp posts shine over empty pavements. Doesn't look as if Faulkner set the mark off yet, at least. Pull up here, see if you can find a quiet place to park. You... I don't want to hear it, Carpenter. I didn't say anything. You were about to tell me to drive away now and leave you here. I drove back here for you two idiots. You don't get to throw me out now. I said thank you, didn't I? (sighs) Keep your eyes on the river. If it looks like anything's happening down there, if it looks like anything's changing, you're going to turn this car around and drive it out of this town without looking back. You know, there are people in these houses. We could still warn them. If it happens, there won't be time. For any of us. If it doesn't happen... They might as well sleep. Stay by the car. Be ready to drive. I'll see if I can bring Faulkner back to us. I, um... If it all goes to hell out there, then... May your peace something something on a lonely road... Mangled it, didn't we? Never mind. May your peace walk on with you for a while. Yes. That's the one. <sighs> Legs getting worse. Now it hurts to walk. Every step. The pain ricocheting through every bone and every joint. An urgent whispering in your head, commanding you to stop. You can't make it any further, the whisper says. You don't have it in you. You need to find a place for yourself in the darkness, where you can sit down and rest before it's too late. It doesn't matter. You were never going to listen to it anyway. You grit your teeth. You keep on walking. You begin to lie to yourself that the next step will be the final one. This will be the last agony until you stop and rest and then you keep walking and the lie begins again and you stoke it like a furnace. Just one more step. Just one more step. Until I reach 
the end of the town's long high street. And the chilly river wind courses around me and through me. A broken promenade and sloping stone revetment stands against the darkness of the endless water. And a great abandoned freight truck parked awkwardly at an angle over the curb. The driver's door is still open. Nobody is awake. Nobody is around. The carnival lights are alive at the end of the pier, glinting bright and full of rapturous violet and red and orange. A ferris wheel, a dodgem rink, pennants fluttering weakly in the breeze. Rubbish is scattered around the entrance to the pier, dumped to either side of the promenade. I stoop and I rummage among the discard until I find a long shard of glass testing its edge against my thumb. Sharp, it'll do the work if I need it to. Wish I had the same confidence in myself. I stow the shard away beneath my sleeve and I keep walking onwards through the pain. Up onto the promenade, onwards through the dark and through the pain, limping past the deserted concession stands and the bulk of the ferris wheel. Until at last I reach the dodgem rink, its roof and its walls have been daubed in restless, intricate canticle marks. There's an unhappy, familiar silhouette, just visible at its furthest edge. How you doing back there, Carpenter? Faulkner? I tried. I really did. But I couldn't finish it. Faulkner's sitting in one of the polished miniature dodgem cars beneath the colourful roof of the rink. He looks hunched and miserable, his back turned to me, gazing out over the darkness of the river. All around him, In etched white chalk across the floor of the rink is the grand and unfinished circle of the withermark. Half drawn and abandoned. I was so excited when I began. I kept looking back over my shoulder at the lights of the town and I thought, this is going to be easy. You've killed up close. You looked your sacrifices in the eyes, they drowned. She can do this now, without ever faltering. This isn't even people you'll be killing. It's only lights. Golden, blinking lights in the darkness, and you'll wipe them out with a single sweeping tide. And then there was a voice in my head. And it whispered, well, 
How many people for each lot? Because you have to know, don't you? How much harm you'll be doing? You have to be able to weigh it in your hands. So I started counting. 25, 30 lots, so let's say if it's an average household of three, perhaps there's only 80 or 90 people in this town who need to die tonight. But then you have to account for the houses that are already dark. And you can't tell how many of those there might be out there, so then the numbers just start to get out of hand. Maybe it's 100 dead. Maybe it's 200. You've got no way of knowing. How can you commit to harm if you don't know how much harm you'll be doing? I should be past this, shouldn't I? I need to be past caring if I'm going to come to anything that matters. And then I looked into the water for confidence. And the reflection I saw, it wasn't. What are you holding there? A shared a glass. Was going to kill you with it. Oh. Stupid idea, anyway. You mind if I join you in the car, Faulkner? Sure. None of this is going like it was meant to. Yeah, it never does. Maybe it was always a mad dream, thinking there was something special in me. All the best dreams are the mad ones. I tried calling Mason, you know. Told him what we found. Thought he might help us get out of this mess. He hung up on me. Just took what he needed from me and moved on. I figured if I set the mark off here, maybe I could show him how wrong he'd been to give up on me. You'd have killed yourself wrecking a really shit little town, Faulkner. How are we meant to change anything if we're too afraid to break what's been built? There's one other option left to us. Tonight, at least. We can run. Seems cowardly. I don't see why. Our god runs from us all the time. He keeps his back turned to us. He lurks in shadow. Every angle he comes at us is different. He answers when we call him, but only to bring us old bones and debris from the garden. And he never stays to show us his face. Why should he hate us? Because we turn our backs and run. They won't tell it in the verses. At least we could be alive to tell them how it happened. Or maybe not. I didn't think they'd find us this quickly. I called them here. You... I told you. I thought I was making an ending. (laughs) What are you... Carpenter, what are you laughing at? Oh, it's not you, Faulkner. No, really, it's not you. It's just... 
flesh. We're just not very good at this, are we? Dancing from one calamity to another, missing our marks, forgetting the lines as they've been written for us. Oh, they'll write a new chapter for us, all right. Right at the back of the verses. A chapter for the clowns. Outtakes and bloopers. <laughs> it's not funny. Carpenter, it's not funny. <laughs> oh, no, you have to laugh. Really, Faulkner, you do. The laughter's the last thing left to us before we go. Do you still have my revolver? Threw it away. You threw it away? <laughs> no, it's fine. Fine. <gasps> well, no need to worry. We've done all we can do at this point. We've come to the end of our pilgrimage. So, this is when... Our god comes out from his murky depths and proves what he's really willing to sacrifice for us. Just like the verses teach us in the nick of fucking time. No. Of course not. Well, let me see if I can force the issue. Carpenter... It's over between us, you twin-mouthed prick! Do you hear me? Does that stir you from your torpor? Pray the barnacles loose from your sullen ears! My father and mother were Gregory and Sandra Glass. My grandmother was Adelina Glass. My brother was M. They died for you. Every single one of them died for you and they thought it meant something. My name is Carpenter and I am still alive. I have loved you so long. I have tried to know you for so, so much longer and I'm done with you. Here and now, I'm not laying down my life for you. I'm not dying for you, do you hear? I'd rather die for nothing. My heart filled with nothing. My last death rattles mocking your name. Do something about that if you can. Carpenter. Oh, hey, pray with me, Faulkner. Come on. You lure him, I'll goad him. Let's see if we can bring the fucker out of his hole. Let's see if we can hook him. Faulkner, pray! Trawler man of the totten flesh, father in the water. You are the mouth devouring and the mouth returning. You stand tall at the high tide and crawl on your belly at the low tide. We, your chosen faithful, beg for your deliverance, for we find ourselves in grave danger and in need of swift currents to bear us on. You hear that? You hear how much he loves you? His whole thick head is filled with stories about you. Stories about all you have to offer him. I'll scuff your wither mark to shreds rather than use it. Look at that! Where's your wrath? Where are your angels? Damn you! Come on out!
Did that... do anything? Something's different. It's... gone quiet. I can't hear the water. Wait. Look at that. The White Gull River has drawn back from us. We stand on the edge of the pier. Beneath us, we can just make out the gentle rhythmic slap of fish dying in the open air of the exposed riverbed. What were you praying for, exactly? The swift wind on our backs to bear us to safety. You? Like you said, some kind of an ending. That works too. You can't swim, Faulkner. Sister Carpenter, you think that's gonna make any kind of difference? Probably not. No. Okay. Shit. Shit, shit, shit. Fucking shit. Okay. You got this. You got this. Well, it's about time you sorry bastards showed up. Call yourselves back up? Alright, gather round. We've got two fugitives loose somewhere in town. My name's Investigating Officer Vaughn. I'll be running this operation. First, I want a perimeter set up along the high street. Then I want officers going door to door in pairs to... Hey! Well... What are you, stupid? That's just rotten luck, isn't it? She's not a cop! She's an accomplice! Arrest her! Thank you! And then I want... I want... What are you all staring at? What the hell is that? We don't run. We stand there on the edge of the pier and we gaze up into the open mouths of our oncoming god. A vast, looming wave rising high above the trembling banks, growing higher and higher with every passing second. I can see twisted faces with empty eyes rolling in the foam. A cascade of arms stretched out towards us from the heart of the tide. First comes the raging torrent. And after the long silence. For all of your mysteries and offerings and contradictions, my river. Maybe you were never anything more than an ending waiting to happen to me. All right, then. If this is the only way you know how to let me go. As the tide comes for us, I close my eyes. I keep my eyes open. I can't help myself. 
I want to see everything he has to show us. And in the heart of the torrent, I am certain I can see. Almost see. Run! And we run. Scattering for our lives, the police and me together in a mad dash down the street, as the torrent comes for us. We scramble upwards, hauling ourselves past windowsills and gutterings up onto the rooftops of the town, allegiances forgotten. It isn't like I expect it to be. Nothing is changed in the water's wake. Nothing is destroyed. The river, if it has a motive, doesn't seem to care about hurting us. It's content instead to make carnival, upending dodgems and cruisers side by side as it comes, sending the colossal Ferris wheel careening down the street towards us and past us, until it finally loses momentum and topples down onto its side across the fields on the other side of town. And as the waters clear, we find ourselves staring at one another in bafflement and relief. Across the darkness, the lights of the town are flickering into life. Residents are opening their windows, gazing down in shock at the water sluicing around them. The bizarre sight of a police cruiser that's been impaled by the long steel pole of a Dodgem car. Gradually, it dissipates, sluicing into the gutters. The pier is gone. A few stray boards dangle and sway before the new emptiness. When the sun has risen, we clamber gingerly down into the sludge of the white gull. As we search throughout the morning, we find strange and inexplicable revelations, offerings that seem to have been delivered to mock us. Ancient bodies, wrapped in rotten cloth, their flesh twisted and reshaped, gulls fluttering downward every unattended moment to pick at their leathered flesh. Fragments of clay pottery from a bygone age. A crimson, rusted, inexplicably aged freight lorry lying on its side in the mud its cabin pocked with a decade's accumulation of black barnacles. There's no sign of anything else. The two fugitives have been dashed from the face of this earth. Sisters, siblings, children of the water. I bring news of a great victory. Two of our disciples, acting together in the northern stretches of the Trollman's domain, have called his hand forth and wreaked devastation upon our enemies with neither pity nor hesitation. The town of Bellwethers, chosen of course for its government facilities and military headquarters, has been laid to ruin. Returned to the water. At this time, 
other strange and magnificent revelations emerged from the silt to demonstrate the power of our faith. I must warn you, what comes next will be difficult. The authorities will seek to make an example of us. But together, together, we shall weather that storm. And with the river's wrath in our grasp, we shall recover lost ground once more. Our family shall grow in numbers and in strength, and in time, like the trawlerman's high tide returning, we will find our way back to once forgotten greatness. Sister Carpenter, Brother Faulkner, your focus, your resolve, your selfless sacrifice, these shall be the image in our minds and the word upon our lips as we march. Rest now. Rest well in the garden below. Your names shall be written in the verses. Your story shall never be forgotten. All right, that is 7 o'clock. And if you're just tuning in, this is Diane Stone. No matter where you may roam, you're never alone with Diane Stone. The station has asked me to say a big heartfelt thank you to all of our faithful listeners for sticking with us after a difficult few weeks. We're never going to take that loyalty for granted, which is why we've taken some extra precautions to ensure that this intimate connection between you and I, as your grateful host, can never again be manipulated by an act of illegal worship. In the studio with me, we have Dangus. Care to say a few words, Dangus? A very large man who comes with his own pair of adjustable noise-canceling headphones and a very large cattle gun. And if I should so much as attempt to spread the word of any god without express permission, he will instantly aim it towards the back of my head and pull the trigger. By the by, dear listeners, the bounty on our last host, Sid Wright, has increased to 80,000 regular. Please, do keep your eyes peeled and your ears swaddled. All right, it's time for our top stories of the day. In the Western Territories, a diplomatic battle rages over the fate of one Linger Street citizen who was arrested in the aftermath of what is already being called the Bellwether's Abomination. The suspect, who remains unnamed, is being held on suspicion of conspiracy to aid and abet the followers of false faith river god, the Trawler Man. We understand that the Linger Straits are calling for her release threatening severe political consequences if their demands are not met. Meanwhile, the police continue to scour the White Gulf for the bodies of two more fugitives who are understood to have perished while attempting an illegal ritual in the town of Marcel's Crossing. I'd like to give a very special shout-out to our new sponsor here at Greater Glottage Radio, the man with the blinding bright eyes who lurks upon the crooked turn. Every year, he takes the lives of over 10,000 motorists in the peninsula. Lend him thanks that it isn't you. If you can still hear me, 
if you're capable of listening to this, follow the sound of my voice down the empty lanes, through the ravaged woods, into the corners of this world where they can no longer hear us. We'll find a place together to lie down in the hollow and sleep. Our bodies will join together. Our hands will clasp until there's no way of knowing whose dream belongs to whom. I open my eyes, and the light is excruciatingly bright. I'm lying on my side, on a bower of broken reeds and mud, soaking wet. It must be close to sunrise, shivering. My trousers and my hands are drenched in mud. I blink back the pearls of silt from my eyes. The river has washed me up on its shores. I'm still apparently myself. That's an achievement under the circumstances. Faulkner! Faulkner! Leg still hurts, but there is a lightness to the pain now. A hysterical absence of weight. That probably isn't a good sign. I lift the trouser leg as carefully as I can. The flesh looks twisted. The bone feels like it's straining to be free. I raise my hands to my head and they come down bloodied. I don't recognize where I am, where the rivers carried me to. Down water, I think. There's nobody else around. I take one step forwards and wobble, nearly fall. The second step feels worse. As I haul myself up through the mud, over the flood bank, onto the riverside, The landscape looks different here. Rolling flats of dead bracken. And beyond, towering grey moorland hills. There's no sign of Faulkner or Page or anyone. There are no cars visible on the road. I'm lost out here. But what else can you do but keep going? Just keep limping on. There are statues along the road here. Identical statues, placed at occasional intervals every fifty paces. I collapse at one, 
get back to my feet. Just keep limping on. The statues watch my progress through eyeless stone faces, their clasped, long-fingered hands held in cross form. I don't know what they mean. I have no way of interpreting the marks scratched beneath the statue's feet. There can be a god for almost anything. Gods for sickness, gods for good health. And, I'm sure, there are gods for a lonely death too. There's something walking behind me now, trailing me along the road. It's a long way back, always just visible out of the corner of my eye. A long way back, but getting closer. It looks like a woman or something which might have been a woman long ago. Draped in drifting white rags of cotton, its head is bowed and hidden. Its greying arms are clasped before it in cross form over its chest. Its hands are unnaturally large its fingers stretching and lingering and long. I stop walking. The thing that follows in my footsteps, well, it stops walking too, of course. You want something from me, ma'am? Looking for directions? Better to die like this, probably. Better alone. So they don't have to see you. So you don't have to look at them when you go. Like an old dog burrowing under the floorboards. Up ahead on the roadside there is the shape of an abandoned car and hope, pure hope, swells for a heartbeat until you get a little closer and you can see the true detail of the rusted wreck. Its passenger seat is dangling open. Its bonnet is a broken shell. Wildflowers are growing up through the wheels. Just gonna keep coming after me, aren't you? Whatever you are, let's not drag this out. I'll wait for you here, yeah? Rest my feet. I'm tired. Honestly, there's that more than anything else. I collapse into the welcoming softness of the driver's seat. Play with the radio. Trying to catch a song, maybe. I'm not sure I want to hear any more voices. The smiling figure 
is gaining on me. I can see it in the cracked glass of the rear-view mirror, standing on the edge of the road. Dirt is pouring through its long fingers from out of its great shovel-like palms. When I glance back again, it's closer still. Three or four feet behind the car, its head still bowed. I can see the edges of a smile upon its face. I open the car door, wide and welcoming. I kick off my boots, closing my eyes as my head sinks into the softness of the seat cushion, and I wait for it to catch up with me. Could be worse, all things considered. There's not many of us when you really get down to it. Who, who even get to choose the thing that, the thing that eats us? Dead will be paid when we die. 